In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Our gospel today begins with a great phrase. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Of course, Luke partly refers to that physical city, Jerusalem, that place where Jesus was wanting to go for the celebration of the Passover and for whatever God had in store for him. Depending on which gospel we read, um, Jesus knows more or less about his future. If you read the Gospel of John, Jesus knows everything, and everything sort of unfolds before him. Uh, But for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is a lot more like us, uh, living day to day on faith, not knowing exactly what God is bringing his way. But he knows that something is leading toward Jerusalem. But Jerusalem has always been more than just a physical city, then as now. Uh, Jerusalem, for, for Jews and Christians and Muslims, is fought and fussed over because it represents so much more than the physical place that it is. Jerusalem, for us, represents the new Jerusalem, that place that is, is where God is all in all. It's that heavenly city. Uh, to which um, all faithful people aim their lives, their intentions, their actions. Um, The heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Jesus points to is, is larger and holier and more amazing than any earthly city could ever offer. And so when Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, a lot is being said. It means there's no time for looking back. It means there's no time for resting on relative gains along the way. It means that nothing is going to stop him because it is the will and the way of God. So nothing will stop it. It's exactly this direction, this intention, this energy of Christ that points forward and will not be stopped. When Jesus and his disciples encounter a village of Samaritans, the Samaritans are unimpressed. They've seen other so-called messiahs. They've got their own traditional beliefs, and they can't be bothered by Jesus. And so the disciples are, are confused by this, and they can't quite figure out how to respond. And so in their confusion, the disciples get angry, and they want to show those Samaritans just who they're dealing with. And so they suggest to Jesus that they all pray together and bring down the wrath of God. James and John say, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I don't know about you, but I understand James and John. That's where I live a lot of my life. When I read the news, when I notice the bullies and the bad guys of our world... I'm usually not filled with very Christian thoughts at the beginning. I'm with James and John. Lord, can't you call down fire on them? Our enemies, our opponents, the liars, the bullies, and a special, especially hot fire for those so-called religious who twist God's words into words of hatred and violence. 
But Jesus looks at me the same way Jesus looked at James and John. Jesus looks at all of us with eyes of understanding, love, and mercy, and shakes his head, no, there's no time for that. Move forward. Move on. There's a lot to be done. We're going to Jerusalem, and there's no time to look back. There's no time to settle old scores. There's no time to waste energy on vengeance or gloating or anger. This week I heard a talk by the speaker and writer uh, Byron Katie. Um, She made a comment that has stayed with me. She pointed out that if someone slaps me in the face, I can anticipate that slap, I can fear it, I can worry about it, or on the other side of the slap, I can remember it long after. I can hold on to it with anger or resentment, and I can plot, and I can build up hatred because of that slap. But think about it. A slap in the face lasts a second. It's over. It's gone. It's history. It's what I feel and think and decide about that slap that lives on and can perhaps consume and control. This is the way of Jesus. (laughs) So what, Jesus says, if that particular bunch of Samaritans don't get it? Fine, we'll move on. Don't let them slow you down. Jesus and his disciples then move an inch or two closer to the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem. There's no room for extra baggage like grudges or resentments. In his letter to the Galatians, St. Paul talks about the, the, the lightness of freedom in Christ. Now, when that letter was being read, or perhaps you read it yourself, I encourage you to play a little game with yourself and notice which of those long words stand out for you. I bet I know which ones sort of ring in your ear. But notice that when Paul lists this whole long list of sins and things that prevent us from the love of Christ, he gives equal weight to all those words. And those challenges include things like quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, idolatry, strife, anger. Paul preaches, sure enough, freedom is not to be confused with license. Uh, The freedom to prosper is not to be confused with the freedom to be greedy. And the freedom to love is not the same thing as casual sex with everything that moves. It's something else. If victory and justice and fairness bring some privileges, Paul argues, they also bring opportunities that should be carefully navigated. Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Don't use freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants, slaves even, to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, Paul says you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. And so live by the Spirit, the Spirit whose gifts are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
Jesus shows us what that sort of life looks like, living in that kind of freedom of God's love. And so as the Gospel from Luke describes it, Jesus moves with that freedom and sets his face toward Jerusalem. But that little trouble with the Samaritans is only the beginning. The love and the joy of Christ is infectious, and so people along the way hear it, and they want to join on. One volunteers, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus warns that one it's not going to be easy. It's not a life of palaces and fine dining. It'll more often be a way of homelessness and heartbreak. Another is invited to follow the way, and the man seems willing, but offers what sounds like a reasonable excuse. First, let me go and bury my father. Later on, another offers an excuse, and Jesus seems a little curt with the person. After all, in our first reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, Elisha says he needs to go home and take care of family business before following Elijah, and Elijah grants him the opportunity. But Jesus is talking about a new sense of urgency, a new sense of purpose, of of setting one's sights on the will and the way of God and not letting anything get in the way. Jesus says, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, that's not to say we ignore history or ignore the past, nor do we allow it to hold us captive. Some of us grew up thinking and, and acting certain ways, but we've grown out of it. Many of us grew up with certain racial or social stereotypes. Perhaps we've been slow to move out of that prejudice. We've got a long way to go, but we're moving toward Jerusalem. We're moving toward Christ's dream, God's dream of all in all. This whole month of June has become a special time in which uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, all sorts of people um, march and speak and love and try to live with a little more pride. I love the old-fashioned word for this movement, liberation. Um, Yes, it's full of pride, but it's filled with liberation for all of us, for liberation for the oppressed But also, if he or she will have it, liberation for the oppressor. Liberation is a theological word. It comes from the heart of God. It's not something we can create. It's miraculous. It comes from the Spirit. And so we pray for it. And we move with it. And we invite others to join us in the way. Of course, amazing advances have been made But too many people are still left out. And so we march and we speak and we work for more. And yes, it's nice to see corporate America draping itself in rainbow colors. But it's just the beginning. What are the hiring practices like? What are the paying practices like? We've got a lot of work to do, and we don't have time to stop and pat ourselves on the back or stop and get into an argument with someone who doesn't quite get the movement of the Spirit. We're called as lovers of Christ to move forward in body, mind, and soul, to follow Christ forward, resisting the prejudice of the past, the misplaced shame of the past, Perhaps the misunderstanding or the rejection of ourselves or others in the past, we're called to follow Christ forward.
This week we got good news from our sister church in the Church of England. The Reverend Rose Hudson Wilkin is going to be made a bishop. Uh, She's a friend of Yvonne O'Neill's and someone that a number of us have met at St. Stephen's Parish. When she's not busy being chaplain to the Speaker of the House of of Commons at Parliament or uh, having tea with the Queen, perhaps, um, she's busy in a bunch of different churches. And when she has a rare Sunday off, she goes to our sister church of St. Stephen's, and she has an apartment in that church building. And so we'll claim her as family, and one day maybe we can get the the new Bishop of Dover to come and visit us. Mother Rose will be the first black female bishop in the Church of England. The Church of England chooses bishops in a different way than our church. Our church, it's all democracy. There are votes, there are elections, there are candidates for bishop who go around and are seen and questioned the Church of England, it's still very closed door. It's still highly secretive. And until very recently, it was one of the oldest of the old boys' clubs. Unless you were white and male and mostly heterosexual, or at least pretended to be, and went to the right schools, you didn't stand a chance of being bishop. Happily, some of that has begun to open up. But what a gift that Mother Rose will be a bishop She never set her sights on being a chaplain to Parliament. She never set her sights on being a bishop. She's just been trying to follow Jesus, just to follow and love Jesus. She's been headed towards Jerusalem. And all along the way, not everyone has been on her side. And she surely is filled with faith and wisdom to know that they won't always be on her side in the future. In a recent interview, she explained that in this new culture of Brexit, it has unleashed and opened up a lot of hatred. And so for the first time ever living in England, someone shouted at her on the street, go back to Africa. She doesn't have time to worry about that person or their comment. She's moving toward Jerusalem. In our own country, we certainly know well that parts of the Trump movement are clear backlash. Gone are the days when race and gender automatically assured one of power and privilege, though in too many circles they still carry their weight. But no, everyone has to study and work hard, and maybe a few people have to move to where the jobs are. It's a different world. And we can understand a lot of the anger and the hatred, but we should not be deterred. We can't be consumed by that. We cannot be slowed down. We have to notice the Spirit and go with the Spirit. Notice the fruit of the Spirit. Those who are red in their faces with anger consumed by fear and desperate for a made-up version of history, that's not God's movement forward. Wherever people are finding themselves changed and changing, newly open, increasingly open to the strange and the stranger, and following Christ into places of uncertainty, but a faithful future, that's where the Spirit is bearing a whole lot of fruit. That's headed to Jerusalem. The Jesuit theologian Teilhard de Chardin once wrote, Remain true to yourself. Remain true to yourself, but move ever upward toward greater consciousness and greater love. 
At the summit, you will find yourselves united with all those who from every direction have made the same ascent. For everything that rises must converge. Whether we feel Christ's hand pushing us slightly from behind or gently leading us from in front, may we follow the Spirit this day and every day into deeper faith and to a surer sense of God's justice as we all look for the new Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.